Well, good morning. I'm Thad Lanthrop, the executive pastor here at CIV. I'm excited to see you all um, this morning as we continue on in our message series that we're calling Lives and Letters. Um, a timely letter can really help. Um, I've received letters at just the right time where I, I didn't want to do the right thing. But somebody sent me an email or a letter and they encouraged me to just stick it out, um, specifically in college. I was ready to drop my major, to drop um, what uh, I felt like I needed to do uh, because it got hard. <laughs> and so I wanted to not do it. Um, and somebody sent me an email encouraging me to stick with it. And I've seen the blessing that that has um, really helped me with. Uh, letters are really helpful. Um, one thing that I have done um, over the last few years is just save cards that my kids give me. Um, I have a folder in my office with just notes and cards that they've given me. Or they've sent me encouraging um, words. Either they wrote them out or their mom wrote them out. Um, and I pulled them out this week. It was really helpful. It was really encouraging uh, to read what they had wrote. When we want to communicate in a way that will be remembered, a letter is a great way to do that um, because you can go back to it. You can look at it. Again, a well-crafted letter has a long-lasting impact. The New Testament letters that we're looking at in this message series, it's a collection of 21 books, which makes up 75% of the entire New Testament. These were letters that were written by real people who actually saw Jesus raised from, from uh, after he had risen. And they were, these letters were used by God to help start, grow, instruct, and give guidance to the first century churches and to individual believers. This message series is a little different than um, our typical message series that we do. We just finished a message series called Right on the Money where um, we dove into topics like managing our money, debt, generosity, um, how to gain financial freedom. In this series, um, we're taking a look at entire letters of the Bible. And like today, it's over 20 chapters that we're looking at today. And so it might feel like a classroom at times, um, but I think it's going to be really helpful. Last week, Pastor Andy got us into this series. He gave some great background on um, the, the entire Bible and then the letters specifically. Um, and we dove into how do we hear God when we're reading these letters? And how do we hear God when we're reading the Bible, too? But he had a, a, what he said was, when we read the New Testament letters, God is speaking to you and me. Yes, it was written to a specific group of people at a specific time. Um, and that's helpful to understand the background information. But God's purpose for the letter was beyond just that specific group of people at that time. And it was to speak to us through those letters. Our job is to build a bridge from the letter to our life. So take, take a look at this picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. We actually looked at this last week. But before the Golden Gate Bridge um, was built in San Francisco, it, San Francisco was the largest U.S. city that was reached primarily by ferry. 
fascinating. It was the largest U.S. city reached primarily by ferry. And so what happened was the growth rate of San Francisco was lower than the national average because people they had an access problem. They couldn't get to San Francisco very quickly, and so they, they didn't grow as fast as other cities. The bridge was built in four years. It was completed in 1937, and the bridge allowed the city to grow faster. Now, the people who live there now probably wish that that didn't happen. A lot of people living in a small amount of space there in San Francisco now. But bridges make a way for us to get from point A to point B. And God's word must be bridged into actionable steps in our daily life in order us to get where we want to go spiritually, in order for us to grow. If we aren't applying God's word to our lives, then we're being filled up with knowledge. And the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. It fills us up with pride. We feel like we know everything that we need to do. But love builds up. We love God as we surrender our life to him and live life his way. So that's why building a bridge in, from God's word into our life is so important. And so to help us um, as we talk about that this morning, uh, there's an additional handout. So we got two handouts in your uh, program this morning that you can use to follow along. And this, the additional handout is just it's, it's half of what we did last week. Um, and so that's just used just as a resource um, for you. It's, it's called How to Hear God uh, When Reading the Letters. On there is the three steps that we talked about that are really helpful in, in hearing God as we read the letters. Getting curious. Um, it's important to know who the author is, the background, what was the purpose of the letter. Um, there's some things to avoid when reading these letters, like having a hard heart, not letting God speak to us, um, and other things. And then to build a bridge into our life as we're reading it. And then at the bottom, there's a couple resources that we referenced last week that could be helpful if you're trying to get a background on the letters that we're talking about. So we're going to use those resources to get curious here about 1 Corinthians and Galatians. Sometimes... When you open a letter, you see the tone of the letter right away. If it's a correction or a problem, you know right away, oh, no, I know where this letter's going. I know where this email's going. This, is, this isn't good. If you're like me, there's just times I'm not ready for it, so I just close it and say, you know what, I'm going to read that one at a different time, maybe when I'm feeling a little better about life um, rather than right now. It's a letter of encouragement. You almost know right from the start you're excited to read a letter of encouragement. We can get a lot of background information on the New Testament letters right at the beginning of the letter itself. They raise the tension quickly about what was going on and the purpose and what's happening in the letter. So let's look at some background information together. The first verses in 1 Corinthians and Galatians tell us right away that Paul was, was the author. Paul was an early church starter. We know that from reading uh, different parts of the Bible. So he traveled around and started different churches. The setting that we find in these uh, letters is that Paul is in Antioch, 
when he writes the letter to the Galatians. He's in Ephesus when he writes the letter to the Corinthians. Take a look at this map um, that we have over here just to give you an idea of what's going on. Now, this is a map. It shows you the journey that Paul went. Um, he went on a few, mission, uh, a few missionary journeys. So this was his second journey. These letters seem to be written after that journey. And so this is Antioch. I don't know if you can read it, um, but that's Antioch. So that's where he was when he wrote to Galatians here, uh, to the Galatia. Now, you can see they're a little inland. Maybe they're kind of like us, you know, the 909ers, uh, the, the inlanders here. Um, and then over here, we got, we got Ephesus is where he was when he wrote to Corinth. Corinth is in Greece, still a city there, um, and Galatia is in modern-day Turkey. So that just gives us a little picture of what is going on. And I am going to abandon my mic and go to the handheld mic here. All right. Can you hear me? There we go. That popping was driving me nuts. I don't know if it was you. Um, and so we can see there that um, that's, well, we, we did see there um, on the map that that's where he was. So the church in Galatia was in modern-day Turkey, and the church in Corinth um, is, is in Greece. And Paul helped start those churches, and so he's writing these letters back to them. Now let's read the Bare Bones Bible um, together to get some more background on the Galatians. That was one of those resources that we talked about last week. So having just returned from Jerusalem to his home church in Antioch, where the issue of faith in Christ alone for salvation has been affirmed, Paul is shocked by some distressing news. He hears that many of the Galatians who had come to belief in Christ during his first missionary journey have fallen prey to the heresy that Gentile believers must submit to all the Mosaic law before they can become Christians. So here we see some, some background. The situation, the occasion, what's going on in Galatians is they are concerned with the rules. They have decided that there are certain rules, these Mosaic law, that the Jews followed in the past, they said you can you need to have faith in Jesus and follow these rules. So that's what's going on here. Now let's take a look at the introduction to the ESV Bible to get some background on Corinth. City of Corinth was at the heart of an important trade route in the ancient world. Like many cities that thrive on trade, Corinth had a reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. The church that Paul planted there, um, you can find that in Acts 18, floundered under all these influences and began to divide over various issues. So we got Galatians, they're concerned with the rules. Corinthians, what rules? They're not concerned with the rules at all. They're taking freedom to do whatever they want. So that's the contrast that we get when we look at these two letters together. That's the background information that really helps us as we dive into the letters today. So here's what we discover as we dive in and read these letters more and more. Unity erodes and spiritual growth stalls when we focus mainly on preference issues. 
Take a look at Galatians 1, 6 through 9 with me. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let not let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Towards the beginning of his letter, Paul starts out right away. He's looking at this issue of legalism, following the rules, versus grace. Instead of Jesus alone, that's the gospel of Christ. That's the true gospel, that it's only by grace we can be saved of our sins and have a relationship with God. Instead of preaching that gospel, some people were preaching Jesus plus. Jesus plus these rules. You have to follow these rules to really have a relationship with God. And Paul's correcting this. And in fact, he goes on, we see, to correct Cephas, who was the apostle Peter. So Cephas was one of Jesus' closest followers. And he got caught up in this. He saw Jesus' life up close and personal, and even he was, was pulled into this heresy, this thought that, yeah, you have to have faith in Jesus, but I also have to do these rules. Take a look at what Paul says to him. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself from them, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You can read more on in, this, this, uh, in, in Galatians. But Paul saw this legalism problem. It was bringing all sorts of damage. It was causing divisions between the people who followed the rules and those who didn't follow the rules. And he's correcting it. This is one of those letters, it's correction. You, you see it right from the start that he's correcting. And this brings us to a really good point. The fact that he's correcting the Apostle Peter right here. And that is that all of our thinking is influenced by the culture around us in one way or another. None of us are immune. It's impossible for us to not think like our culture in some way or another. I know that's a lot of words to, to say. Basically, don't be fooled into thinking you can't be fooled. We can all fall into wrong thinking. Even the, one of the closest people to Jesus did. Have you ever heard the saying, 
Find work you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's a great saying. It sounds really good. Completely not true. But it really is, sounds really good. A good saying. I realized this week I had, I had fallen into believing that saying. On Monday, um, I had just returned from a, a trip last week and weekend was just packed. It was busy. I was tired on Monday trying to get some things done and I had a very tight schedule this week of what I needed to get done on Monday. These projects were just not coming together. Not, I was just hitting wall after wall, not making hardly any progress. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm starting to, to doubt my abilities um, and just a doubt, doubt that I can do what I need to do to get the job done. And I realized this idea that work should just come together. It should just happen. That work should be fun all the time. I was, I was fighting against this influence on my life. I love my work. I really do. I love what I do. But there's, there's days that are work. You know, there's a lot of days that are just, it's work. That's why we call it work. So we can all drift in our thinking at times and get off, off track. Paul is correcting Peter specifically in this passage, and later on he corrects the Galatians as a whole um, to try to get them not to say this gospel of Jesus plus the rules. Now, over in Corinth, across this, the sea, um, the non-909ers, you know, these are the beach cities over here, um, as we looked at on the map. They got some different issues that are causing divisions among them. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so here we see people saying, I follow so-and-so, or I follow this person. And it was creating all these divisions in the church of these, these people. And the reality of this, along with people just selfishly choosing to use their freedom to go their own way and do whatever they wanted, it created just a hotbed of divisive issues in the church in Corinth. Some of these issues were uh, name-dropping, like we just saw. Oh, I follow so-and-so. So-and-so 
uh, gave me the gospel, and so I'm I'm in his in his uh, his pack. Minimizing sin was another tension that existed in Corinth. People were doing just despicable things that you you read in in these letters, and not hiding it at all. In fact, um, bragging about it. It's just is just crazy. Another thing, another tension was not clearing things up and instead going to court. So people would have a conflict and instead of going to that person and saying, hey, um, will you forgive me for doing this? Or, hey, when you did this, it, it really wronged me. Can you make restitution? Instead of doing that, they're just taking it to court. Dietary choices. It's another tension that we see in Corinth. Spiritual gifts is another one. And orderly worship was another cause of division. Now, not all of these, but a lot of these tensions that they were experiencing in Corinth were on preference issues. Now, I'm defining a preference issue as the Bible does not specifically approve or disapprove of that behavior. So a preference issue. Bible doesn't ban it. It doesn't say you can do it, but it's this matter of wisdom and preference that you see. So let's take a look. Let's bridge into our world. Let's look at some current preference issues that we have. Let's look at some tensions that we live. I don't know if you guys have heard, but it is actually an election year. Has anybody heard heard that? Maybe a little bit. Uh, politics is a preference issue. Preference area. God doesn't tell us exactly who to vote for or what to vote for. Now, the Bible has a lot to say, a lot of principles that can help us and inform us in what to vote. But more and more, politics has become just this us versus them mentality, dividing friends, sometimes families um, over this. Another preference issue is, is schooling, public Private school, charter school, home school, there's all these options out there. And if you're a parent, you want what's best for your child. You want to do what's best for them. And so schooling can be a point of contention as you discuss it with your friends or what's the best option. Health is another one. Medicine versus natural supplements versus oils versus conventional medicine. Do we vaccinate? Do we not vaccinate our kids? Dietary differences is another one. Keto, Atkins, uh, paleo, organic, vegan, non-GMO, all these different options out there. Preference issue. Financial approaches. Another preference issue. Maybe you're a Ramsey diehard, or you got rich, rich uh, dad, poor dad, um, going at it there on the picture. Other issues of freedoms are drinking, tobacco, entertainment, things like that. It's getting a little hot in here, getting a little squirmy in the, the chair a little bit. Um, let's just move along from this dad. That's because these issues become near and dear to our heart. We spend a lot of resources on these issues. And the Bible gives some really key boundaries 
in areas that, that we just mentioned. Like, for example, for drinking, we're commanded not to get drunk. There's nothing in the Bible that outlaws drinking specifically, but that's a preference issue. And these are important issues because um, we're extremely invested in them. We spend a lot of time, energy, and money on them. They are matters of wisdom. They deserve a lot of thought trying to bridge the Bible into um, these, these areas and talking to people who have more wisdom in them. Um, Pastor Andy mentioned in the money series God is gracious, wisdom is not. I thought that was a great, great quote. And it really applies here in these preference issues. Some of these areas will just smack you in the face if we choose to go in, a, in the wrong way. So they're important matters. But don't confuse these preference issues with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's warning us about here. We can get so concerned about what we eat or don't eat, what we drink or what we don't drink, that we start to advocate for these things. We lose sight of the most important thing. We think this is the way to do life, and we add it on to what it means to be a Christian. We have to stop doing that. These preference issues divide. The more we add on, the more divisions it causes in relationships in the church and in relationships with friends. These preference issues divide, but a relationship with Jesus Christ is what unifies. Towards the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul shows us what it is that can bring unity that we all desire. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul is keeping the main thing the main thing. He's, he's letting everybody know this is the gospel. He's not adding rules or preferences to it. He's also not subtracting from what it means to be a Christ follower by saying you just have the freedom to do whatever you want. He's calling people back to what is the most important thing that will unify them, and that's Jesus Christ. It's easy to not keep the main thing the main thing. I was working yesterday and uh, doing working on a, a couple different things. I was pulling a report from... Um, a financial, uh, financial software that we have. And as I was pulling the report, I realized, oh, I bet there's a setting that I can change and it'll just make my life so much easier. I started to Google it and I'm going down this path and I realized, wait a minute, that's not at all what I have, what I need to do right now. That's not at all what I need to focus on right now. I don't have time for that. It's so easy to get distracted and pulled one way or the other. And so Paul is pointing people back here. He's pointing people back to the true gospel. And he's saying, For what I received, I passed on to you as 
first importance. Paul received the message, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul was opposed to Christ before he started to walk with God. He was going his own way. He was persecuting people who followed Christ. But God met him where he was at. He restored his relationship. Paul chose to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, restored his relationship with him. He received that message, and he's passing that on as of first important. He's not passing along information about preferences. He didn't uh, bring a message about the politics of the day or the food we eat or whatever it may be. He brought this message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christ followers are unified by believing these facts and making Christ the Lord of their life. We're unified in the fact that we believe we're all sinners. It's amazing. All Christians, we, we believe we're all sinners. We're, we're not perfect. We, we can't get it right on our own. We can't restore our relationship to God by following these rules, by being a good enough person. On our own, we choose sin. We choose to be selfish, go our own way. We choose to to make a big deal out of our preferences and try to get everybody to join us in what we're trying to do. But Paul's reminding us to focus on what's most important. At the end of our life, what's going to be most important? Is it going to be our dietary choices, what we ate, If we vaccinated our kids or not, or what kind of medical attention we we chose to go with. No, that's not going to be the stuff that matters. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. It's not to say that we prefer the house of mourning, but it's in the house of mourning that we really focus on what's truly important. We focus on the relationships that are important. We focus on what's, what's this mean when, when life's all over? What's next? We think about that in the house of mourning. Christ's example of dying on the cross for our sins shows us how we can live a life of purpose and meaning and bring unity to our relationships. And we need to follow the example, like Paul says for us to do in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Before Jesus was crucified, he prayed this prayer to God. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. It's in Matthew 26, 39. Jesus didn't want to go through the pain of being betrayed, beaten, nailed to a cross, dying a criminal's, criminal's death. He didn't want to go through that. But he loved us so much that he sacrificed himself to do what was best for us. 
And that's the example we have to follow in these areas of preferences. Our freedoms are meant to love and serve one another. In order to be the church that God wants us to be, to have the relationships that God wants us to have, to be the friend that God wants us to be, we have to shift our focus from using our freedoms from, for whatever I want to using them to love and serve others. Take a look at Galatians 5.13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's something similar at the end of 1 Corinthians as well. The Bible explains that before we become Christ followers, we're in this spiritual bondage. We're a slave to our sin because there's no way for us to do enough good to atone for the sins that we have to have a relationship with God. So when someone commits their life to Christ, they are free from this spiritual bondage. They're no longer, they no longer need to be scared about death and what it might hold because they can look forward to eternity in heaven with God. And after we commit our life to Christ, we don't become just these robots that follow God exactly. We still have freedom to choose to go life God's way or to go our own way. And Paul is helping us out here. He's saying, don't use your freedom to serve yourselves and do whatever you want. That won't lead to the unity that you want. That won't lead to the growth that you want to have in your life to become more and more like Christ, to become a better version of yourself. But he's saying, use your freedom to love those around you. Now, it sounds really good. It kind of sounds like, you know, find a job that you love. You'll never work a day in your life. But this is true. This is real. As we use our freedoms to love those around us, there's this unity that happens as we focus on what's truly important. But what does that look like practically? One of the things this might look like is that you limit yourself in the area of alcohol, not drinking it at all or in certain situations especially, maybe not posting it in social media or whatever it may be because you know that you have friends that struggle with addiction either now, currently, or they have in the past. That might be something that you, you choose to do. Or you can use your freedom. Maybe your, your kids are in school and you, you're not working and you have some time to use the freedom that that gives you to serve people during the time where, where you don't have them and you don't have other things to do. There, there's so many ideas for how to use your freedom to love those around you. But the key is to shift from... I have these freedoms. I can do what I want to. I have this freedom. I need to use it to love and serve the people around me. That's when unity and growth can happen. We find unity in not focusing on potential dividing issues, these preference areas that we talked about. We, we grow as we focus on using our freedoms to love and serve one another. We say maybe... I don't believe what you believe in a certain preference issue. I would go a different way, but we're both committed to following Christ. Let's encourage each other 
and growing towards Christ. And we'll figure the preference differences out along the way. That's what happens. You become a Christian. You start to grow in your relationship with God. These preference areas start to work it out as you continue to focus on the main thing, which is Christ alone, growing towards him, and he'll give you the wisdom to handle these areas. That atmosphere of love, saying we have these differences, but we're still going towards the same thing. That atmosphere is what Paul's encouraging us to have in these letters. Imagine how much we can grow together, how much um, we can just accomplish together if we really believe this and practice this practically. That's an attractive group of people to be around who are committed to loving and serving one another. Let's follow the example of Christ, loving our brothers and our sisters more than we love our freedoms. Let's focus on encouraging each other. Each week, we encourage uh, everybody here to take a next step in response uh, to the message. Like we uh, talked about earlier, um, the blessing really comes from doing God's word. Not It's when we bridge it into our life, that's where the blessing really comes. So let's take a look at a couple next steps that you might want to take in response uh, to the message today. The first is take some time this week um, to answer the space questions. So the space questions are on that additional handout. Um, and you might want to just take some time this week and ask, is there a sin to confess? Have I been making a bigger deal out of preference issue, pushing it on people? Um, is there a promise to claim in the verses we've looked at? Is there an attitude to change, a command to obey, an example to follow? Uh, you might want to take some time just asking those questions in, in regards to the message this week. Another thing um, is to make a list of your preferences and just evaluate how you're communicating those to people. Uh, Maybe you just want to spend some time and uh, write it out. Am I really communicating well in a way that's not pushing it on people or that in a way that's not going to harm them in some way? And then uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, uh, the letter to the Ephesians. And you might want to read that this week, just getting ready. Uh, for next week might give you some background and um, you can practice using some of those tools that we that we've looked at. Um, let's love and serve one another in our freedoms this week. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you um, so much that you do give us so much guidance uh, in your word, the Bible. And um, thank you that uh, you've shown us how to not have Uh, divisions in our relationships, how to clear things up with each other, how to focus on the main thing, the most important thing, which that is a relationship with Jesus and not get so caught up in our preferences and the ways that those can can divide us. We ask for unity. Um, We ask that you would show us each next steps that we can take um, in the way that we relate on these issues. And we just ask that you would uh, just help us to love each other this week by serving one another and the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.